can have a seat. And uh, if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, you can turn to Numbers. And we're going to be in chapter 21 today, Numbers 21, starting out there. But um, while you're going there next Sunday, right after church, we're going to have a baptism at Todd and Amy Rasmussen's house. And they're not here today. Maybe they'll come a little later. But um, they're, they're getting baptized. And if anyone else would like to get baptized as well, talk to me. We'd love to have you join. But they're inviting anybody and everybody to come on over to their house. We're going to do baptisms. Um, it's supposed to be nice and hot out, so it'll be good. All right. Numbers. We're kind of turning a corner in this book. Um, the rest of Numbers, starting in the section we're in today, they're in what's called the Plains of Moab. So if you look at this map with me, um, if you can see this, they started out down here, and up there where the X is, that's modern-day Israel, to give you a bearing here of what we're talking about. And they wandered around in the desert for a while. Uh, it was supposed to be a two-week trip up to, up to the Promised Land, but they kept complaining, they quit kept rebelling, and so a whole generation dies out in the wilderness as punishment, but now the next generation is about to go into the promised land, and they're up in Moab, and, and so it's a very different setting than the desert. They're, they're, they're there, but they're not there yet. It's, it's like this already not yet stage, and there's going to be a mix of ups and downs for the Israelites, like the whole book, but especially in this next part, but it's incredibly impertinent to us because this is us. For those of you who are, who are followers of Christ, you are God's children. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You get tastes of shalom, the way things should be, peace, heaven here on earth. But we are certainly not there yet, right? It's not heaven here on earth. We, we, things do go wrong. We're, we're not here with Jesus face to face. So we live in this already not yet stage, just like the Israelites are here. So it's, it's incredibly pertinent to us. So we'll pick up in Numbers 21 here. And the focus here in Numbers 21, we're going to look at um, starting in verse 10 through the end of 24. The focus zooms out from the whole nation of Israel to God and what he's kind of up to behind the scenes. And it's incredibly important then and today to not get tunnel vision on ourselves and our circumstances, but to zoom out regularly and consider what God might be up to behind the scenes. So we're going to see God working in three different ways here in this section. We're going to see God's blessings, we're going to see God's control, and we're going to see God's protection. And we're really going to see the song that we're going to sing a little later lived out, that even when we don't see it, God is working. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. And that's what's happening here. So let's pick up actually in verse 21. 21, 21. Numbers 21, 21. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into field or vineyard. We will not drink the water of a well. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. He gathered all his people together and went out against Israel 
to the wilderness and came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. And Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok, which are rivers, as far as to the Ammonites. For the border of the Ammonites was strong, and Israel took all these cities. And Israel settled in all the cities of the Amorites in Heshbon and in all its villages. So here's what happened. Okay, in case you missed it, Israel finally has victory. They've just had defeat after defeat after defeat, usually defeating themselves. Now they're up against someone, and all right, they're having a little success. They're having a little victory. And it continues. Jump forward to verse 31 here. It says, Thus Israel lived in the land of the Amorites, the land they just conquered, and Moses sent to spy out Jazer, and they captured its villages and dispossessed the Amorites who were there. Then they turned and went up by the way to Bashan, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against them, he and all the people, to battle at Idri. But the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have given him into your hand and all his people and his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon. So they defeated him and his sons and all his people until they had no survivor left, and they possessed his land." So, as God says in verse 34, he gives them the victory. He gave them the victory in verses 21 to 25 over the Amorites, and then, and we're finally seeing some victory, some triumph for God's people. And it's an incredible blessing to them, given all of the stuff they just went through and all of the complaining and arguing. So, I got a couple questions here, and I, I want to do some questions this morning where you guys just shout out answers, okay? We don't need hands, any of that. If you, if you think you know an answer, just shout it out. It'll be all right. So, who were God's, uh, sorry, how were God's blessings undeserved here? How were his blessings undeserved? He gives them victory twice. Why was that undeserved? Yeah, thanks, Dave. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. See numbers 1 to 20, right? Complaining, rebellion, complaining, rebellion. That was what they were doing. Even generations. This is, this is a new generation. Uh, and they're turning a corner a little bit, as we'll see next week. Maybe not so much. But uh, that's what they did. So they didn't deserve a blessing at all. And it made me think of like um, Psalm, nope, that's the wrong one. Sorry, my pages got out of order. Didn't make me think of Psalms at all. Um, all right, another question. Why did God bless them? They didn't deserve it, so why did he do it? Yeah, he still loved them. Good. What else? Keeps his promises. He's forgiving. Fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. He's true to his promises. He's merciful in nature. Another way to answer this question would be, good question. Why did he do it? I don't, I don't know. Sure. He, he is a parent. Yep. Yep. That's good. That's good. He's a father to them. He's, he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, as it says in Scripture. So now i got a question for you all to discuss at your table. 
How has God blessed you in this past month? Discuss. All right, I'm going to keep us moving. So if you have your Bible, we're going to look at chapter 22 now, starting verse 1, and we're going to read a crazy story, okay? This is one of my favorite stories, I think, in the Old Testament, uh, just because it's weird. So here we go. Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho, and Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was, gr- was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel, and Moab said to the elders of Midian, this horde will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the fields. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river to the land of the people of Ammah to call him, saying, behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth. And they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So we'll keep reading in a second, but here's what happened. They're in Moab, and the king of Moab, Balak, is like, oh man, I'm going to get destroyed. Okay, I saw what they just did. Something's going on. I can't, I, I'm not going to be able to handle this. So he's like, all right, I'll hire this guy Balaam to come curse them, like a, a sorcerer of sorts. Come, come over here and curse them. So verse 7, we'll pick up. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed, from, uh, departed with the fees for the divination in their hand, and they came to Balaam, the sorcerer, and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam, and God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me, saying, Behold, the people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went back to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Well, Balak, he's not going to accept that for an answer. So verse 15, once again, Balak sent princes more in number and more honorable than these. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. Come, curse this people for me. He's saying, I will give you anything you want. Verse 18, though. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So you too, please stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. 
Verse 22, but God's anger was kindled because he went and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way of his adversary. Now he, was, now he was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him and the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand and the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field and Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, did you catch that up? Donkey is now talking. What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with this drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you, because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. For I do not know what you, what, that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will, re, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. Okay, a lot just happened. Let me, let me summarize. Balaam is consulted by Balak. Balak is the king of Moab, right? And he's consulted, and um, he's saying, hey, you need, you need to come with me. This people, Israel, you need to come here and curse them. And so he consults God. Why he consults God, I, I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. He, he was a sorcerer, but he consults Yahweh, the God of the Israelites. Maybe he thought if he could get an in with them, he could, he could curse them. I don't, I'm not really sure, but he does this. And it, it's, it's rather crazy when you think about it, why he would do that, but, but God kind of is overseeing all of this. Not kind of, he is overseeing all of this. And we're seeing God's limitless control here. Um, but Balak, um, sorry, Balaam consults with Yahweh, God tells Balaam to go with Balak, but don't curse Israel. So Balak comes back, he doubles down with a reward and says, I'll give you whatever you want to try to convince him. And Balaam still refuses to curse them because Yahweh, God, told him not to. Now we have this strange thing. Look at verses 21, 21, and, or 20, 21, and 22. A really weird thing happens. God says, you can go with them now, but just do what I say. God says this to Balaam. Verse 21, Balaam is like, all right. So he goes with Balak. Verse 22, though, God's now mad about Balaam going. Wait a minute. I thought God said he could go. Is, is God schizophrenic here? What's, what's happening? Here's, here's what I think is happening. It seems that Balaam 
changes his mind and he fully intends to go and not bless Israel, but curse Israel. And God saw through it and he knew Balaam's heart and he knew that he was going with them but wasn't going to listen to God and was going to attempt to curse Israel. So God sends an angel, shows up three times, but only the donkey can see it. That's where it gets especially weird. And Balaam beats his donkey each time. And then God finally opens Balaam's eyes to the angel and to Balaam's error. And Balaam's error was this. He cared more about himself and the reward that he was being offered than he did to listening to God. God does this to ensure that Balaam would understand who he is. I am the God. And he also does it to ensure that Balaam doesn't curse Israel, but rather blesses them. Now, a couple couple questions here to just throw out to the big group. Anyone can answer. In what ways does God show that he is limitless in this story? Donkey talks. Good, good. Yeah, don't overthink it. What else? Yeah, exactly. Yep. What else? Yep. Yep. Got an angel standing there. Yeah. Yeah. Clear that he is he is in charge there. Yeah, he can see our hearts. Sees right through Balaam's motives. Uh huh. Yep. He speaks to a pagan sorcerer. I don't know any other stories in the Bible where God is speaking to a pagan sorcerer. Maybe there are, but I can't recall any. Um, that's that's pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, you guys you guys did well. Uh, another question: Why is it good that God is in control? Why is that a good thing? What's that? Yeah, because people don't make very good decisions. True. Yep. Good. Why else? Why is it a good thing that God's in control? Helps us to be humble. Sure. What? Yeah, he has a plan and a, pur- and a purpose that's for our good. And we don't, we don't sit in God's seat, so we don't see everything. So sometimes it doesn't feel good or seem good to us. But yeah, he sees it all. Um, so there's two things about God. He is all-knowing, okay? And because he's all-knowing, he knows what's best. And then the second thing, he's all-powerful. So he doesn't just know what's best. He has the power to do what's best, um, he has the ability to carry it out. And, and as we're going to sing pretty soon, even when we don't see it, God's working. Even when a donkey's talking, okay? Even when crazy things are happening, he's working. And if you think about it from the Israelites' perspective here, they had no idea any of this was happening, okay? All of this is happening behind the scenes. So even when we don't feel it, he's working, he never stops working. So question for you at your table to discuss How have you experienced God's good, limitless control in your life? Discuss. Okay, I'm going to keep us moving along here. If you want to continue that discussion, you're more than welcome to when we discuss next. 
I know I didn't give you enough time, but it'll be all right. Okay, note to self, don't eat a donut hole right before you come up to speak. Um, <clears throat> okay, Numbers 23, we're going to look at just uh, 5 to 12. Okay, this is a good snapshot of Numbers 23 and 24. 23 verse 5, And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. And he returned to him, and behold, he and all the princes of Moab were standing beside his burnt offering, and Balaam took up his discourse and said, this is when he's supposed to be cursing Israel, he says, From Aram, Balak has brought me, the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. How can I curse? When God is not cursed, how can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the crags I see him, from the hills I behold him. Behold, a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let me end, let my end be like his. Verse 11, and Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have done nothing but bless them. And he answered and said, must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? So this happens two more times. Three times he goes to curse, but God won't let him, and all that he utters is blessing. And you can take a look at those accounts on your own if you like. It's a literal fulfilling of God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, where he says, he'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. So some questions. Um, Why do you think God shared this event with Moses to put in scripture? Moses wrote the book of Numbers. Moses was not around when this event happened. All of the stuff we just read, Moses wasn't around, okay? Why do you think God shared this with Moses to then share with the people of Israel and then to us today. Why do you think God allowed this to be in Scripture? Protection. Protection, sure. Expand on that. What do you mean by protection? Yeah, yeah, he's he's all... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just remind them. I'm behind the scenes working things out, protecting you. Good. Good. Anything else? It goes back to Yeah. Yeah, that's good. If you didn't hear that, that, that God is the same as he was in Genesis 12 when he showed up to Abraham as he is now to show the generations, hey, I stick true to my promises. That's good. That's good. Okay, next question, um, just for everyone. Um, I don't have another one for just everyone. Just kidding. I'm going to make some comments. Um, so here, Israel's just, uh, just living everyday life in the plains of Moab. And behind the scenes, three times, he attempts to curse them, and every time God protects them. So Israel has no idea it's happening. And so the same is true today. God, in ways that you may never know, is protecting you. 
even right now as you sit in this room. That's rather mind-blowing to me. He, he's protecting us perhaps from, from believing lies from the devil or from physical harm, emotional harm, from perhaps people, circumstances, thoughts, locations, on and on and on. And this is the one that makes me think of a psalm. Psalm 125 verse 2 says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem. So think, think about mountains surrounding a city. So the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Let me give you a couple of examples in my own life of where God has protected me and I didn't even know it. My mom is a prayer warrior. And I know that there's not a day of my life that she has not prayed for me. And I, I could go on and on about ways. And, and I could go on, God could go on about ways that God has protected me through her prayers from, from many, many, many dark, destructive paths. I know that God has done that. A more specific example, um, in college I was dating a gal that I knew I should not be dating. And uh, she had no desire to be a pastor's wife um, or, or to be involved in ministry. And so God finally helped me, I already realized that, helped me get the courage to realize that and do something about it. And I dumped her. And I dumped her because I realized I needed someone like Heather, um, my wife. I needed someone like that who was excited about ministry, who wanted to work together to, to minister to people and share Jesus with people. Um, and I think God protected me by helping me dump her. And that sounds weird, right? But I think he protected me by helping me dump this other gal from having this kind of tug of war perhaps the rest of my life and, and this tension in marriage that probably would have destroyed both my marriage and my career, my ministry. So it really is true, as we're about to sing, even when I don't see it, God's working. Even when I don't feel it, God's working. He never stops working. So discuss this at your table. What has God protected you from?